out Landis to podcast, an album-by-album review of Sting's descent into straight money-grabbing. I mean, career. I always get those mixed up. Greed works. I'm Adam Ragusea, and I have just stepped out of a steam bath wearing my metal bikini bottoms. I'm Meg Donahue, and now I can't see. Fate. I don't have to fate. Today, we are talking about The Police's sophomore album, Regatta de Blanc. Which translates to... <laughs> white reggae. The white man's reggae. <laughs> the white man's. <laughs> doesn't actually... You, well, you took, you took French in school, didn't you? I did, and I was horrible at it. Okay, I'm guessing regatta is not the actual French word for reggae. Yeah, I think they said it was like a loose French translation. It's <laughs> that been sort of real like loose. that pen- pigeon French sort right, of thing yeah, that, yeah. that apparently... Some sort of patois. Patois. <laughs> That is Ian Copeland's invention, or so says Sting. Yeah. I'm guessing it was Sting's idea, and now he's embarrassed about it. Right, right. Like, he's just, you know, Ian just came up with it. Just stop blaming Ian, Mm. Sting. (laughs) Uh, On the subject of it being the white men's reggae, Mm. um, you know, this is the whole thing that the the police were these, you know, gentlemen in their 20s, plus Andy was 67. (laughs) And uh, 20s plus plus. Plus plus. 20s plus. (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> Andy's 54. <laughs> Jesus Christ, how old is he? It's really weird that he hangs around with us. How do you do, fellow kids? What? <laughs> um, and uh, he just circles around the studio with his bike like one of those weird kids. Oh, God. <laughs> No, 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 no. Not not like one of the weird kids with his bike, but like the old dudes that you see riding a bike on the street and you know it's because they have a DUI. Right, exactly. And then like like an old dude who does not look comfortable with it, but he's riding around town on like a mountain bike. <laughs> oh, and he's dating a 17-year-old. There's a lot of bad choices in his life. That's, that's Andy Summers. Oh, Andy. Oh, Andy. Oh, Andy. Oh, Andy. So their careers weren't going so well, so they decided that they should go ahead and, you know, capitalize on the trends of the day. Right. One that we've discussed is the punk rock. The punk rock. The punk rock. And then the other was reggae. Reggae was huge in Britain in Mm -hmm. the late 70s um, because Britain had colonized the West Indies. That's the duchy on the left-hand side. That was much later, though. Is it? Yeah, yeah. That was like 82, 83. Much later. Much later. We're dealing with 79, brah. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) And, you know, the appropriation of punk rock, whatever, punk rock was the music of of the the British working class, which Sting at least was, assuming that we're believing his acquired backstory. <laughs> right, exactly. Gordon Sumner was, R.I.P. <laughs> he worked on the ducks. He worked on the ducks. I said, go on. It's me, Dougie. What was that guy's name? Dougie? Was it Dougie? Let's, let's go, go with Dougie. Dougie. Let's go Dougie. with Dougie. It's me. Oi, I'm Dougie of the I'm shipyard. Dougie. I work at the shipyard. I've got authentic- authenticity just streaming <laughs> off of me. But their appropriation of reggae is like a lot more problematic, right? It is, yeah. And uh, is. He, I have found, I found uh, a television interview from the police in 1979 um, on uh, Swedish television in Bremen. And uh, in Bremen, like I know that. <laughs> in Bremen, is that a town? Is that a network? What is No, that? it's a state of mind. <laughs> you know, it's like. Uh, it's know, like when you go on vacation? Is no, that, is it's that, that it's Swedish like one of those German aesthetic words? of. Um, oh, what is it, Hoggy? <laughs> <laughs> like being super cozy? Are they all in like long scarves during this interview and just by a fire? No, it is a city. A ah, city. A city. A city. Thank you, Rand McNally. It's a city. A city on the shore. <laughs> I assume. I really. It could be inland. I'm going to go with it. Could be in the hinterland. The hinterland. Of Sweden. <laughs> it's in some backwater. It's probably on a fjord. Oh, that would be amazing. Do they have fjords in Sweden or uh, are those in Norway? I'm going to go with yes because there's no one here to tell me no. <laughs> so here they are talking about their appropriation of reggae. This is Sting's mission statement on the white men's reggae. Get ready for this. As a white English group, we have an advantage over black Jamaican groups playing reggae because it's not our music. We can bring something else to it. So we adapt a foreign music to our own needs. And what comes out is totally different. 
and we could adapt, say, um, Swedish folk music to our particular music. My jaw is on the floor. So what do you think about that? Oh, my God. Wow. It's not all music. I'm sorry, I can't do his accent. (laughs) It's not just the gleeful... He has a, especially at this era, but I think pretty much all eras of Sting, he just has this shit-eating grin on his face all the fucking time. He does. You just want to smack him. Mm. I mean, that is- And then passionately make out with him. (laughs) That's how we roll. Mm. Um, That that is shocking, though. Well, so what he's saying isn't necessarily, I mean- He's saying it in the most dick way he possibly could. Right. We've got an advantage over black Jamaican groups. Right, yeah. Right? Um, He's saying it in the most dick way possible. But what he is saying, the substance of it, is not wholly objectionable, I don't think. I mean, that is the virtue of cross-pollination of ideas, right? right? Um, That you take one thing from somewhere else and then you do it in your own native voice. And the, you know, two plus two equals... more (laughs) (laughs) two plus two equals more my problem with this and um i've never actually seen this interview before is the fact that he says we have an advantage Mm. so there's something better about the way they can do it by the way it's originally done and you know maybe that's that's just where they were standing and you know, you don't see that many – they're not entirely wrong because you don't see that many reggae groups, you know, selling out arenas. But um, that's still problematic and kind of makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> I mean, it's like – it's if, if you ever wanted to – and I'm – God, I'm going to – someone on YouTube is going to accuse me of virtue signaling again. <laughs> but if you ever wanted to, like – Show someone an example of what it means for a person to not be checking their privilege. Mm. It's that, right? Like, we have an advantage over the black reggae groups. And isn't that just a wonderful thing? Exactly. Right. And, you know, I I have Um, to say. Like, that's not your only advantage, Sting. I think you have a couple others. Right. And, you know, I guess we have to also see that. We're looking at this at 2018 and this was done in 1979. So, you know. Woke they didn't understand fire back then. They I mean, they didn't understand <laughs> fire. They didn't understand, you know, the dignity of other humans. <laughs> I think, you know, bad shit was still going down. That was discovered in somewhere in the mid 90s, right, I think. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Satan, I'm a 90s man. I cry when I need to. I share my feelings and I keep my mind open about everything. I don't know. We don't, we don't have to hash out this whole thing now because it's just, a, it's such a like a profound topic of. You know, should should we feel bad about liking this music that they did? <laughs> yes, maybe not suited to a silly little podcast. <laughs> but um, but you know, it just goes back to Sting and his is he's just a thief. I mean, I'm <laughs> sorry that, that that sounds really harsh, but um, he he stole Gordon's box of lyrics and put it <laughs> under that floorboard. Well, no, I mean there is this, um, and this is going to sound, you know, there is. Uh, How's it going to sound literary, again? Oh. There's this literary critic named Harold Bloom who um, talks about the anxiety of influence yeah. and how um, artists are always really scanning themselves to make sure what they're doing isn't derivative of something else. No. Whereas Sting, I mean, he is running into that that influence, you know, full armed, just ready to take it and ready to to. It's, oppor- opportunist- it's opportunistic. Yeah. He is like he is unabashedly opportunistic. He right. wants to be rich and famous. He yeah. wanted to be in that car with the Queen Mother, right? Doing God knows what to her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was willing to take whatever he could take to get it. And to me, there is a there's actually like um assuming that Sting actually is Gordon Sumner and mm-hmm. Gordon isn't just the person he killed. <laughs> um, assuming that he is. There's there is this like historical resonance between the fact that here he is enriching himself off the music of the West Indies and he was in a position to do that in the first place because he grew up in this yeah. middle class community in Newcastle and what was Newcastle it was an engine of the empire it built the ships of the empire right yeah right yeah um so he's his whole life he's been taking from those people yeah and and I'm not opposed to the idea of 
people i mean i think cross pollination is freaking amazing it's like mm-hmm. it it is it's it is given us so much right. you know um but yet what i'm have a problem with is like his lack of self criticism about it and also i kind of feel like there's there's substantive things he could have done in order to give back to this you know these communities from which he took so much like right. the sting could like the sting the sting <laughs> the sting the sting the sting the sting the sting form the sting the sting <laughs> the bears the bears the sting i love the sting the sting could have taken you know when they were going around the world conquering the world playing to like you know stadiums they could have brought like unknown jamaican reggae groups right to open for them, you know, and, it, and show, like, said, you know, look at all these millions of people you've come out to see us. First, watch the real thing. They could have done that, and they didn't. And what's interesting with that is that you see that a lot with a lot of um, larger artists. This idea of stealing, not stealing. I feel like there needs to be a better word for it. Yeah, but. It's almost Madonna does the same thing. She finds it, she hasn't done it in a while. She hasn't done it in a while, but she finds things that are are better than than she is. <laughs> and says, she, I, takes, I would like some of that. <laughs> I would like some of that, please. End of story. Uh, exactly, and I'm going to take it. And so that's a talent in and of itself. It's sort of like it's taste. Yeah, yeah it's taste. Extent, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, well, we should. Hey, we didn't do our history segment. Let's, Ooh, let's do it now. Oh, let's do it now. Regatta de Blanc was released in 1979. Adam, what else was happening in the world in 79? The Iranian Revolution happened largely in response to the legacy of Western colonialism and exploitation that is separately reflected in the police's music. <laughs> Sex Pistols bassist, oh, and I put that our ironic, ironic air quotes. quotes. Yep. Sid Vicious was found dead of a heroin overdose at the age of 21 after being under suspicion for girlfriend Nancy Spungen's stabbing murder. Yet another celebrity that's done more with their lives than I ever will. Sting was probably glad at that moment that he was only pretending to be someone like Sid Vicious. <laughs> <laughs> Real Sid Vicious got problems. Yeah. Uh, a partial meltdown at the Three Mile Island nuclear plant in Pennsylvania resulted in a statistically insignificant increase in cancers in the surrounding area, but it was correlated with an exponential spike in the composition of punk rock songs about nuclear disasters. <laughs> the Guardian Angels were formed in New York City. The unarmed group of crime fighters were easily recognizable by their red berets and the speed with which they ran away from actual crime scenes. 1979, the year the world fell apart, but the police really got themselves together and made arguably their greatest album. So I'm going to fight you on the best album thing. Do it. I'm going to do it. Do it. I'm going to do it right now. Yes. All right. You start. And I'm going to say, this is no. the, we're in it. This is the segment. All right. Let's do it. Um, so I was listening. It's being done it's, right now. Just do deal it. Deal with it. Do deal it. with it right now. Um, what are you waiting for? <laughs> I think lyrically, it's their one of their weakest albums, but I do think musically, it is one of their best. All of their albums are their lyrically weakly, weakest <laughs> oh, albums. Sting is a terrible lyricist. <laughs> that's not true. He steals from some really smart people. <laughs> <laughs> I think why I think it's great is that I mean, A, I think it has I mean, it actually has a lot of really weak songs in it. I mean, this is probably the first thing we should say is that yeah. as they say, you have your whole life to write your first album and then you have six months to write your second album. Yeah. And they were they were they had did not have enough songs. <laughs> they didn't. So there is like filler galore on this record. There really is. There's um, the title track Regatta de Blanc. Which is, is actually I think if if the police were a sitcom mm-hmm. and it was three scrappy lads living in London in a band, that would be Regatta de Blanc would be the, their their theme song. It'd be like Sting and then Andy and he's like, and then here comes to it with a lady and his drums. <laughs> so yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> That would be the theme music to the police sitcom. <laughs> At the end, they do like a three-way high five, <laughs> you know, Choo! jumping up, and then they all converge. <laughs> Best friends. <laughs> oh, they got a wacky landlord. What? Tiny shorts. They got to be wearing. Oh, it's got to be oh. those really tiny shorts. Really tiny running shorts. Yeah, yeah. And, and mullets. <laughs> no, not mullets. I wouldn't want to watch the tiny shorts and mullets. 
one or the other, boys. <laughs> the costuming department called. They said they can't do both. <laughs> the police. The police. <laughs> I'll oh, get okay. you, kids. <laughs> It's all about the real Gordon Sumner. He's he's, <laughs> he's dragged himself up from the tyne, you know, like like, he's a- like his, his hand comes up triumphantly covered in slime from the surface of the water. And he's mean, mean old Mr. Sumner, mean old Mr. Sumner. tracking down those kids trying to get his box of lyrics back. Give it to me. <laughs> What kind of car do they drive? What kind of car do they drive? It's like one of those um, Eastern European, like, like as big as a matchbox. <laughs> they've got to like cram all of their stuff in it. And they gave it a name like Maisie or something really cute. And Maisie breaks down all the time. Stuart's da, 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 mom gave it to da, da, him. The police. The police. <laughs> Having a great day. Working together, singing songs. <laughs> So regarding to Blanc, yep. um, all that was was a jam that they would often do in the middle of I Can't Stand Losing You. That's a, it's um, a good jam. And you can tell because it's like got the same freaking bass line in yeah. it, you know. Um, I guess so. It's a perfectly, it's whatever. Um, it won and a, a Grammy. Won a, gra- it won a Grammy. Oh, yes, they, they swept the Grammys for best instrumental performance like three years in a row and was a freaking travesty. Um, <laughs> but anywho, so... Um, there's other filler things like there's a bunch of I hate to say it but like there's a bunch of old um, Stuart Copeland songs which I actually they... on my re-listen I really liked well let's go out of let's go out of sequence let's listen to one okay, which one, what, what one do you like um, I like um, Not Today I think On Any Other Day On Any Other Day if you listen to it it's good <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't listen to it it's even better <laughs> Punky. It's nonsensical lyrics, and it's got a good driving beat. Stewart on lead vocals. Yep, but it's like atonal vocals. It's good. Well, it's again, it's those like weirdly, you know, deliciously out of tune sting backup vocals that I really do love. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, kind of pedestrian. No way, I danced to, in my kitchen to this last night. There is Does Everyone Stare. Oh, which... I've got a story about that. Oh? No, it's a sad one. <laughs> well, I had a crush on a boy in high school, and I had just gotten the box set and uh, of, of the police, and so I would listen to this song over and over again and think about the god that worked in the... Walgreens photo department. So this is Stewart's original demo that he made at home. And they make this really interesting creative choice, which is to do the first verse from the demo, and yeah. then it crossfades into the police doing it with Sting on vocals. There's a lot of interesting beginnings in this album. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I sort of feel like this is a really good song that gets show- sold a little bit short by kind of a weird and not very <laughs> not very well thought out recording, but I do admire the creativity of this moment. I think that's really cool, and I do. Th- I think that Sting is actually trying to sing this well, which is something we see in other situations where I think in other songs where he's singing. Well, in other there's. Oh, I'm sorry. So, I meant Sting. I think Sting. Here, listen. Listen to this verse. He's clearly played with the melody and made it his own and is singing it with some sincerity which is different because I think as we'll see later on and actually frankly a bit in this album Sting has a tendency to sabotage compositions by the other guys in the band I think really yeah like he like does not do very well on them Hmm. 
You know, he's like, we're going to let you have one song on this album, Andy, and I'm going to sing it shitty. <laughs> Listen to this. You know, that's like, a good point because he sounds, the way he's singing in that little spot right there mm-hmm. is how he sings later on in his solo career. But yes, you don't see that. That's his jazz voice coming out. Is that jazz. What that, jazz. 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 Yeah, I, I had the same thought. That, yeah. Those, I don't, I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is, but that's like the melodic style that we really hear in Island of the Blue Tur- Dream of the Blue. <laughs> Dream of the Blue Turtles. The one about the turtles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, unfortunately, the song doesn't have a very good chorus. But it, it, towards the end, there's again that atonal when one goes up. Yeah, here it is. The, the vo- he's not following the rules of harmony on those harmony vocals. The, the voices are crossing where they're landing on unisons and spots. And it's all intentionally weird, I think. Which, yeah, again, I good. admire the adventurousness of it, but I also think that, like, they had a song that could have been just a really good classic police song had they kind of worked it up a little bit more. Yeah, it does. Um, but it, this is more sort of a tossed-off performance, I feel like. I think this could have been a really good rock song, um, but I'm glad that they they didn't go with the, the obvious choice on that. Okay. I kind of wish they'd gone with the obvious choice. <laughs> Okay, let's bring it on back to the beginning of this record. <laughs> okay. Uh, with Throw it like, in reverse. Arguably the definitive police song, which Mes- is Message in a Bottle. Message in a Bottle. I have so many things I want to say about this song. Okay. Um, I'm going to hold your hair back and let you puke it out. <laughs> Just do your thing, son. Well, let me, uh, I just see, oh, oh we've got a, little, we got a little guitar over here. <laughs> oh, what? What's this in the corner? What's this in the corner? Oh, yeah. Who brought yeah. this? Yeah. Kumbaya, it's like yeah. a church camp in here. You caught me uh, picking on the old guitar here. <laughs> oh. Hello, uh, ladies. <laughs> okay. So I think that the, the guitar riff of... Um, Rega- 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 the Rega- message Rega- message in a bottle there we go message in there a we go. message in a bottle in a bottle message in a bottle message in a bottle it's me Dougie <laughs> Dougie it's me Dougie I'm from Newcastle I am <laughs> do 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 I work on the boats um I think that this is like one of the greatest guitar riffs in the history of like rock guitar riffs I don't know if it's top 10 but it's like definitely top 20 um, and I want to just sort of break it down a little bit. Quick question. Yes. What would number one be? So what's the gold standard? Just so I have something to reference it back to. Hmm. I'm quite partial to the beginning of Van Halen's, um, uh, running with the devil, which goes like this. As hell. So good. <laughs> good as hell, man. So complicated. I like um, November Rain <laughs> slash his work that right in the middle of that song. Stephanie Seymour, I'll never get over you. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know if that's a riff, though. That's like, that's a melody. Like, that's uh, a guitar, okay. lead guitar melody. And that was one of the, God, I mean, we should just do a show about, um, about Guns N' Roses, but God. It's such a great song. I know. And just Slash is just an incomparable, there's better like lead guitar players, but he's just an incomparable composer of lead guitar melodies. Like, Oh, I oh didn't know he God. did that. Oh yeah. No, he, he wrote, that was not, yes. Andy Nitz. Mm. No, he doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> if Andy Nitz, he wouldn't have so many holes in his shirts. <laughs> <laughs> As we'll soon see, he has lots of holes in his shirts. He does. Okay. All right. All right. The riff from Message in a Bowl. Right. Okay. So it features, it's all built, it's just different Dude, iterations some... of what I call the power ninth chord. Okay. Which is this. Okay. Uh, why do I call it the power ninth chord? Okay. So like normally, you know, uh, uh, chords are triads. They're made of a root, a third, and a fifth. Okay. All right. Um, the power chord, which is like the elemental chord of hard rock and roll, omits the third. It does not do this middle note here. It's just the, the root and the fifth. 
it's not a triad. Moving, it's, it's a not duad. a triad. It's a duad. <laughs> I somehow I think there's a better word for that. No way, duad. We're going with duad. <laughs> it's a duad. It's a duad. <laughs> Um, so just moving around that duad that's like most rock and roll music it's let's smash it right okay so um, so the that's the they call it the power chord that's the power chord that duad is the power chord this is the power ninth which does a power chord and then it adds the ninth which is that's nine scale degrees up from the root okay um and it doesn't have a third, which is why it's not a normal ninth chord. It's the power ninth. And Sting fucking loves the power ninth. If he could do the power ninth, he would. He probably tried, right? Um, he uses it on so many things. And frankly, it, it just... Oh, by do you mean sexually? Sexually. <laughs> sexually. He'd, he'd slip off that metal bikini, get right up where that third should be in the power ninth. Mm, mm. <laughs> he loves it. Loves it. Um, so he really overplays the power ninth in his career, but this is his first sort of time on record using it. And he's, he gets away with like every single chord in this riff is, is just, he's just moving around the power ninth. So it's, that's the only deviation from power ninth is the very end of the last chord. He goes, goes up the power ninth. And then there's this wonderful little slide up. Questioning. Yes. Uh, what? What? Like, is it like a what? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's. That's something that's so problematic about a lot of like rock riffs is that they kind of, you know, right? They end. It just ends. There's no reason for that to keep going. Yeah, it's like a paragraph. You're done now. Yes, there's a full stop, right? But whereas this goes, and then, yeah, it asks a question that wants to resolve back to the right the home chord. Mm So that's, thank you. That's one reason why this is a great fucking guitar riff. Also, by the way, notice how hard it is for me to play this. <laughs> like, it's a stretch, right? Like, Sting has huge fucking hands. Does which he? is That's why he can lay a bitch down. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Don't, lay a bitch down. Don't pretend you haven't thought about it. <laughs> that was a Big man hands. Big man hands. Shipbuilding hands. Shipbuilding hands. He's <laughs> got some big fucking hands. Jordy hands. <laughs> That's why it's the, the composition of it is great. Right. Um, what is another layer is um, Andy's playing of it. Um, and of course, there's like his signature guitar tone, mm-hmm. which we haven't even really talked about yet. But it's like he was he was the progenitor of the 1980s guitar tone. Yeah, we'll that, talk about it later. That shiny, sharp um, sound. Yeah, um, yeah. Is that is Andy Summers invented that, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, and there's a great um, interview that we'll go to later that he talks to Jules Holland, Jules Holland, and I was just blown away by. Just how well-versed he was in all things guitar. The man knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. He's a pro. Uh, I mean, he was 35 years <laughs> he old. He was 900 years 900 old. <laughs> <laughs> Methuselah was playing with them. <laughs> so. um, but one of the many things I love about Andy is that he, he's he's not a guy who like... I think, I think you actually see this a lot in the more... Ironic, ironically, in more skilled, practiced players, players with like a lot of facility, mm-hmm. you actually will end up hearing more mistakes from them on the records that they do. Because with like shitty players like me, I, to record this song, I would have to do like 80 gajillion takes and I'd, you know, have to go back and fix tons of spots or I'd probably just record it one bar at a time. I'd probably these days copy and paste it and shit like that, you know, (laughs) and then it would be perfect, right? Right. But it's perfect because I fucking suck. Whereas like Andy is this like, got you know, just old school professional dude from like a lifetime of like jazz gigging. It all comes back to jazz. Jazz. Um, And like he would go in and lay things down in one or two takes. And as a result, of that you actually have more mistakes but they, they it gives it this wonderful humanity and texture and and it's almost like um, the Bob Ross school of guitar playing there's no mistakes only happy little accidents happy little accidents yeah we're just gonna just gonna just, gonna just put a little, <laughs> little happy little happy little uh, sharp note there yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway so okay so um, lay a bitch down there is a mistake where I mean I don't know it's there's a thing he does that's probably not the way that Sting showed it to him on and when he plays this this riff that to me like makes it a way better riff. Because the one thing that I think is kind of boring about this riff is that it's just the the same chord shape over and over again, just moving, getting moved around. So yeah. power ninth, power ninth, power ninth, 
or ninth, right? And when I first when I first learned it when I was like a teenager, I was just like I was playing it like that, and I was just like, is that really how it goes? Because that just seems sort of boring. And I remember it being like so, some of those being a little bit different. So I was playing around with it being like like just a simple power chord on something. I was like going. <laughs> I was just, you know, and I was like, that, no, no, that's not right. And then I only like in getting ready to record this show, I figured out what, what it is. Okay. Which is that, okay. So w- watch what I'm doing here. So I start off on the home chord and I go to the middle one and then I now have to shift position. My hand has to go all the way from up here at the top of the neck down to here. Okay. That's like a big, that's a big jump, big jump. And I got to do it really quickly. Like, that's hard, right? Yeah. Um, and probably was easier for Sting because of his giant sex hands. Giant hands. <laughs> and, Lay a bitch but, down. But, but Andy's a tiny man, right? And he probably has little little lady hands. Um, so so he, he really has to, like, you know, when he gets to this chord, he's really got to boogie down fast in order to make it down here. Yeah. So what he does is he actually bails on the chord. He plays the first two notes. But then when he gets up to this one, he doesn't actually play it all the way. He goes like this. I'm trying to, I need to fuck it up. I'm not fucking it up. Uh, He goes like that. Oh, so he like abbreviates it. Yeah, he abbreviates it. Yeah. He leaves the party early so he can get someplace else. Right. Yeah. And what that does is it breaks up the monotony of the same chord shape on every single one. Uh, and it's just such a great example of how the humanity of players can really make things better. And it's something that is so lacking from, you know, computer recorded music today. Yeah. Um, but enough from me. Let's listen to the man <laughs> himself do it. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So one of the many things I love about this song is that it's arranged in such a... Actually, I'm going to stop at it because I want to go back and listen to this again. Um, it's a, I'm going to put the old guitar down right, right back over by the fireside. Um, you know, one Thanks, of the thi- Uncle Adam. That was great. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. I used to get girls at camps. I bet you did. Okay. I, I did. <laughs> Bet you did. I did. <laughs> um, so one of the things it's that's so annoying to me about <laughs> about like conventional pop and rock music is that it's that thing. I think we were talking about it last time uh, with regard to Hole in My Life or something like that. But like the songs were like you hear the verse, you hear the chorus, and then you might as well just stop listening because right. it's just going to like go back and forth and nothing is going to develop. Nothing is going to change. Yeah. Right. Um, and this is like a very straight, you know, verse chorus kind of stru- thing structure. It could have been monotonous. And in fact, if Sting had done this as a solo artist, it probably would have been monotonous. But because he's playing with these two ace motherfuckers, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, what they you know, they developed an arrangement that changes and evolves and ebbs and flows and grows and all the way over the course of the song. Yeah. And I just want to like, let's just listen to the drum part. Okay. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so fucking good. God. This it's is so like good. maybe the greatest single drum part in all of rock music. Okay. Um, crisp is what I. Crisp. crisp. Well, that's one of the things about Andy Summers' sound is that like. You know, everybody today, they're like, they're trying to get like the biggest, fattest sound. We're yeah. Like, I want, yeah. I want the biggest drums, and I'm going to yeah. tune them kind of low. Stewart doesn't and, care know, about boom. that. Stewart was the exact opposite. He bought like tiny little drums, it, and he tuned them really tight to yep. get them higher and higher and higher. He was going, trying to make them sound dinky. He's trying to make it all sound small and light and. It, 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 there's like a beginning and an end, and you hear each note, and it's not like a like. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's like each individual. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're seeing individual sounds come oh, together. So my fucking God good. Um, okay. So bear in mind that before we go into this, like the standard rock drum beat is it's going to be four beats long, a cycle of four, and it's going to have a kick drum on the one and the three and the snare drum. So, yes. And the snare drum on the two and the four. Boom. 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 Yeah. Two and four. Twos and fours. Twos and the fours. Boom. All right, that's standard rock beat. Listen to what he does in the very beginning. 
So the kick drum there is actually not even on the beats. It's on the ands. It's one ant, 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 one yeah. ant, two, ant, three, ant, four, ant. Okay. Now, if you listen carefully, the the kick drum is not on the one at all. It's only on three. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll count it. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And what that actually is, is I think that's his reggae influence because reggae is all about the three. It's like three is the heavy beat in reggae. Huh. And I think it's super cool. Um, so, and it's just weird. It's just nobody does that. And then we get to the chorus where he like totally hangs back and is just like, I'm going to do nothing creative here. Mm-hmm. This is like a punk rock chorus. So right. I'm just going to do a straight ahead, twos and fours. Twos and fours. Twos and fours. Move the song along. Yeah. But with this fill. Oh yeah. my God, his, that fill. His fills are good. Now what he does, this is what's called four on the floor. It's where the kick drum is on every single beat. It's associated with dance music. And he's wow. not playing his snare drum at all. And this is one of the wonderful things Stuart would do is he would just... He would just, look at there's no fucking snare drum here. Yeah. He would just not play the snare drum for a while. He had the bravery to just I'm just gonna do four on the floor and I'm gonna do tasty little things on my cymbals and toms. It gives the, the song like a, a deeper bottom. If that does that make <laughs> oh, sense? Nice round deep bottom. <laughs> so Sting likes it. <laughs> I don't know. This song thick with two C's. <laughs> And I, can, I we've talked about this for way too fucking long, but it's just like every single section he does something different with, and the song and makes the song evolve, even though the actual composition doesn't. You know, yeah, it's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, terribly unimaginative. But he turns it into he makes it what's called through composed. It's different all the way through. Yeah, just the the fact that he I guess he used a reggae beat and then a dance beat and then and straight rock. Yeah, and then, like that's a, that's a lot going on right there. That's a lot of thought. I'm glad we thought it. I'm glad we thought it too. We thunk it. Dun thunk. Uh, Time to talk about our first sponsor on today's program. Are you in a band? Have you ever been unfairly compared to other members of your band as not as talented as... Have you pitched your songs that you've written to the band members and were laughed out of the room? Are you more Star than McCartney? Are you more Garfunkel than Simon? More Oates than Hall? More Summers than Sumner? Bring your better-than-the-average-person-at-least self down to Z-Side Records. Z-Side, because you might not make the A-Side or the B-Side, but you'll definitely make the Z-Side. So I know these guys over at Zed Side, um, and they know that great bands have all great members, but sometimes you just don't have the the zhuzh of, of the zhuzh, the, zhuzh, the, zhuzh. the star power of, of you know, say, um, an Axl Rose or a Sting, but you're still a valued member of the musical community. Right. In the sense that you were there when they were like we need someone to play these drums exactly you were somewhere exactly. down the street walking toward the house walking the street right and, and you're and you had two hands you had two hands right you had two um, hands and you knew what drums were and at least one foot <laughs> at least one not necessarily two yeah so um over at zed side they like to encourage the the dark horse members of bands to come over and take their experimental shit that, you know, maybe they're in a straight pop band, two minute 30 songwriting, and, and you've got this weird jazz exploration and you have no place to put it. It's just an exploration. It's you know, an exploration. I didn't want to like pen myself in and call it like a song. Like mm. it's, a, it's an exploration. It's, it's an exploration. It, it's an idea. That isn't really an idea. I just It's more really, a feeling, really. It's a, a feeling. It's like a vibe. Yeah. I'm really more of a vibe guy, you know, as a player. I'm really more of a vibe guy. Bring those vibes down to Zed Side. Mm. We're gonna put that uh that vibe down on vinyl. <laughs> down on down on the like the twenty six sided yep. object that is the vinyl record <laughs> that, that has a Zed side. <laughs> 
like this, like that's like what are those like logic? Those like logically impossible shapes, right? Yeah, that, yeah, like yeah. MC Escher would paint <laughs> those tetrahedrons. <laughs> twenty six, twenty six a hedrahedron. Schmickety do. <laughs> Zed good. Size is also really into Dungeons and Dragons. Good luck finding play. a player for that. Like, <laughs> those things, like a needle will last like thirty seconds on one of those. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But um, President Zed Side is uh, Jason Newstead from oh, Metallica. Oh, you know, good guy. He, yeah, he started this because um, he, he just knows didn't have feels, the judge. He didn't have the judge. He didn't have the judge, and it's not his fault. And so he wanted to find other people judgeless like himself. Mm. And give them a home. Go on down to Zed side. Zed side. Just don't call it Z side. Don't. They will. They will fucking kill they will you. Fucking throat they will punch you. Beat you like like the kids in Clockwork Orange. <laughs> or the way the <laughs> MI6 beat Gordon Sumner. <laughs> Tyneside. Tyneside. They're gonna leave you Tyneside. <laughs> leave that ass Tyneside. <laughs> <laughs> So I suppose the second most famous song on this record is Walking on the Moon. Yeah. Oh my God, this song. You don't... Yep. Are you looking at me like you don't like this song? Uh, oh no. I, I think this is the definitive police song. No, really? And not even... Not, I, I mean, think it's like such a... It's such a departure for them. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? What? <laughs> what? This is where their sound like crystallized. No. I, I disagree. I think it's um, it's too it's too loosey goosey. Oh. It's too. It's not their their tight go go go. It's well, again. I, will admit, I it's don't. A I don't think it's, it's a feel thing. <laughs> it's a feeling. It's just you know. Just more of a vibe thing. It's you know. Vi- it's vibing. It's, I just don't like it's, that vibe. The you boys know? be vibing. Um, I, I will say I don't think that like it's it's best iteration is this recording on this record. Like that's okay. like the definitive live police song because it's when they they would they jam on that a lot more. Yeah, and it really was and it really was Stewart's showcase. Like that was. You know why I just realized I don't like it? Why it's too jazzy. Jazz, jazz, jazz. jazz. But there's no ships in it. There's no ships. Well, there's a spaceship. There is, but there's no mention of dads. Mm. Mm. Unless it's all, all a big daddy fantasy. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. There are some just, I do have to like discuss some geek shit about this song. Okay. Um, so one of the things I'm going to, look at this old guitar <laughs> they got over here. Look at that. Somebody, somebody left a guitar by this fireside. Yay! Okay. So, um, one of the things that I hate about like a lot of rock music is that um, it's really just there's a singer songwriter who has written a song on his guitar mm-hmm. and he plays it and sings it. And there's some other guys who kind of play on top of him. Right. Right. And that's really all it is. And um, and they're not it's not like it's not like four people playing together. Right. It's not a cohesive whole. It's, right. it's stuff grafted it, on top of on top things. of like a thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, one of the things that's like wonderful about the police is it's like three guys playing playing together mm-hmm. um, in counterpoint with one another. And one of the ways I think that you can test to see whether or not you are actually playing together with your band or if you're just asking them to be, you know, adjuncts to <laughs> right. what you're doing <laughs> you're awesome. is like is like play your song by yourself with the guitar and see how well it works. And we see this with some of those earlier songs like um uh, uh what was the the Oh, yeah, 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 The truth is everybody. Right, okay. Yeah. So that song, you could just play that right. at the guitar. Because yeah. that, that's what the guitar is doing, and the bass is just going... Mm-hmm. Right? right? Okay. Um, so, like, that's, to me, that's one, of the, that's one of the many reasons why that doesn't sound like a police song. That's, like, very proto-police. Okay. Now, compare that to, like, Walking on the Moon. Where I'm just going to play the guitar part for Walking on the Moon. Okay. He got a paycheck for that. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. And I love my favorite song. Yeah. Like it don't it don't work. It don't work. It don't work. It don't work. And you know, because you need that. Yeah. 
that bass part. It's there's a counterpoint between the two of them. They work together. Neither is dispensable. And that's how you know. That is your litmus test to see whether or not you're actually playing and writing and arranging together instead of just being an asshole who brings in a song and it's done, which is something that we see Sting doing later on. <laughs> yeah, he does. He did it at the beginning, and this is like his um his collaborating. Yeah, he's, he's being he's being a good boy. Yeah, he's being he's a being collaborative good, boy yeah, at this phase, and that's why I think this is so strong. And I think it might be because he lacked material. Yeah, exactly. So, he uh, didn't he didn't have it all. He, he didn't have all the answers. He didn't have all the answers, and yeah. he ended up with something musically one of their best things. There's but only sucks, so many but... pieces of paper in that box under his floorboard. <laughs> <laughs> like, and he knew there's got to be something. Knew, there's got to be something in here. He knew he was going to have to ration that shit out if he wanted to have a long <laughs> career spending at the rate that he intended to spend. Boats, coats. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> okay, but I do have to say that um, my like favorite moment in any drum part ever is in this song. Mm -hmm. Um, And here, I'll just play it. Yep. Wait for it. I mean, this is good. It's it's all the drumming on the song is phenomenal, but like my favorite drum moment in all of drum history happens now. No, not now. (laughs) Give it a second. Ah. Triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it. It's just you can feel the body moving through weightlessness all. Yeah. It it's is. like Neo leaning back behind the bullets in the <laughs> Matrix, you know? There is no spoon. <laughs> it is like if space had a sound, it if space would be, had a sound, it would be, be that. Stuart fucking thing it's so Stuart's drums. good and that's the thing like i think i said last time the steward is the greatest rock drummer ever i don't know i actually could, could make some cases for other people like neil neil peart from rush or um but the thing that is like indisputable and i think like most drummers would say this Stewart is the very very best player of the hi-hat symbol mm-hmm. in all of drumming history ever like no it's, it's a rather specific area yeah yeah but like but he sorry. plays that fucker like to the point where and there's a kind of proof of this which is that in peter gabriel's so album from 1986 that's a great album yeah like um where he was you know at his the peak of his powers and he could have had anyone play on that album and he did and like you know people like tony levin you know the bass player that sting wishes he could be <laughs> is like all over that album and like you know He's like he was dealing with the very, very best people on that album. And um, he brought in Stuart to do one thing on the very beginning of that album, which is to make the the first statement of that whole album, which is the very beginning of Red Rain. That is Stuart Copeland playing wow. the hi-hat. No other drums, just playing the hi-hat. Okay, so if I were Apple... <laughs> I would have Stuart Copeland develop a ringtone just using high. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing I love about this is that example is like Peter Gabriel famously hated cymbals. Um, really? Yeah. Like, so when he went solo for, after leaving Genesis, he, he told all of his drummers, like, get, leave your cymbals at home. No cymbals allowed. I think he wanted that. I mean, frankly, it's another example of like cultural appropriation, post-colonial, whatever, um, because I think he wanted that sound of drumming, of membranophones, of, right, you know, yeah. of that African primitive yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so, he's so. He's not, I'm developing something new here, guys. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so in touch with the primitives it's Peter so Gabriel cool. was. Ooh, I gotta go um, cringe into a corner right now. <laughs> I know. But even he saw that it was just like, dude, if you want, if you're, if, if you're going to have anyone play the hi-hat, you bring in Stuart Copeland. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah, he's good. That guy is good. good. Real good. good. Real good. He's so good at his job. Time to talk about our first sponsor for today's show. Second. Second. Sorry. Let's do that again. Time to talk about our second shot. (laughs) Time to talk about our second sponsor for today's show. Stand up bass. If you want to know what it's like to carry around a dead body everywhere for the rest of your life... Play the stand-up bass. Play the stand-up bass. Do Just it. play it. Just do it. You know, because here's the thing. When you're choosing an instrument that you're going to play for the rest of your life, you don't want to consider foolish things like quality of life no. and, you know, the fact that you were going to have to get on every single airplane for the rest of your life with basically an obese man's coffin. <laughs> You know, it's basically going to be weekend at Bernie's for you for the rest of your life if you play the double bass. Ew, I 
go. Ready? I can't believe I'm touching a dead body. Use your boss. Come on. Let's go. Whoa! <laughs> I wonder if anybody calls it Fatty Magoo. This is my place, Fatty Magoo. Screw that. You don't want to consider. That's no. not, that's foolish people consider foolish such people. things. What they consider is how sexy do you look playing that instrument, right? That is a sexy instrument. Because, you know, when Sting plays the 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 upright bass, yep. which he does because jazz. Jazz. Right? When he plays the upright bass, he just, man, I... I think that a woman looks at that and thinks, like, look at how he's working his hands across look how big his hands that are. giant thing. <laughs> Just imagine what he could do on little old me. Right? You I know? mean, that was, yeah. Oddly enough, his bassist name is David. So, sorry, ladies. <laughs> he named his bass David. <laughs> Oh, but he shows David a good time. He does. Sure, it's like he's he doing a tango with it. Oof. You know? Mm. 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 Yeah, that's that's what you want to think Get in about that jazz, when baby. you're choosing an instrument. Yep. Um, Do, is it like is it corpse like? <laughs> and can I turn on the ladies? Which is two really weird bullet points to pick out our instrument. This message brought to you by the Upright Bass Council of the Greater Tyneside region. <laughs> Believe it. <laughs> Oi! 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 Do you want to talk about any other songs on this record? Um, let's see. What else do we have here? We've got oh, um, what is your thought on "It's All Right for You"? I think that might be the worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't that another Stuart Copeland jam? I think that might be an Andy jam. That's an Andy jam? I think that might be an Andy jam. If only there was a way to find out. I know. I mean, there's, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah. We'll never know. Um, that's yeah, classified that's information. There's just, there's, that's one, there's just a lot of songs on this where like they clearly did not put forth their best effort. <laughs> right. They said, um, I was reading about the album, and they said they did it in four weeks. Yeah. And they did it for like 9,000 pounds, even though... Um, is that a lot? I really don't well, know. Well, uh, like A&M wanted to give them... How many pence is that? <laughs> how, m- how many half crowns? How many turkeys <laughs> in the window can you buy from Mr. Scrooge with that money? Um, but apparently they did this really, really under budget. And um, they went to Surrey Studios and worked with... Um, they were able to do what they wanted to do with this album because it didn't cost any money. Yeah. And you can really tell that this is a musician's album rather than just a... a wait, wait, we've got some really good pop songs on there too. Um, oddly, one of the songs where they are <laughs> really putting forth their not best effort <laughs> is on The Closer, which is a Sting song, No Time This Time. Yeah. Which is like a cool-ass groove. It is a cool-ass groove. Like, it's, it's, it's punk rock, but it's like creative punk rock. Yeah. Really neat riff. But wait until Sting starts. Sting so- starts singing. It's like, are you even trying? No, you're not. You're not. This is your song. Again, Zed Side Records. Zed Side. <laughs> oh, this is such a Zed Side. Zed Side jam. Just a little better on the chorus. Since it's like 79 and they're starting to get into like synth and stuff, is this his attempt to try to make like an organic song sound otherworldly? Oh, yeah. Or was he just trying to sound um, uh, rough around the edges? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It just made him sound. It is not working. He's just like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not not his best effort. It, it's not his best effort. And um, lyrically, it's not even that good either. <laughs> None of this is very good. No. No. Musically, it's great. Well, there's there was in that, um, in that documentary that Stuart Copeland made about the stings, about the, the, the stings. The sting. The Again, with the verb form. The stingins. The sting. About the police's sorry, early so that's days. That's the noun form. Two stings. <laughs> about two, the two sting. Two sting. Uh, what's the transitive? No, that's the transitive. That's the transitive. Um, no, that's the infinitive. Two plus to verb equals infinitive. Yes. I don't know what the transitive would be. Mm. The gerundal form <laughs> would be stinging. It would be. Uh huh. Um, so on 
Stuart Copeland's documentary about the stingings. The early stingings of 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 the, of the world, the early stingings of the world, um, uh, which is called uh, every, "Don't stare, everybody stares, stares, staring. staring. We're just gonna call it staring. staring at the stings, staring at the stings, stinging at the stairs, stinging at the stairs, um, stinging up the stairs." He just there's just, there's just one line in his like vo um, that I think is really apt. He says like Sting has a knack for the catchy phrase. He does. And in terms of his lyrics, that's mm-hmm. that's really his strength. Like he comes up with, you know, Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. Like mm-hmm. that's a really catchy, intriguing, yeah. weirdly vague I um, think that comes back you know, to his... phrase. But like the rest of the so- that song's lyrics are terrible. <laughs> like they're really banal. Well, you know? I, I think that goes back to his um, study of poetry and that um, he has one or two really potent lines mm-hmm. that the rest of the song just kind of hangs on. Yeah. And so you just sort of get through the rest of the song to hear those two really amazing lines. Right. Yeah. That couplet, if you will. Is it just an effort thing? Like he like he tried really hard on one line and then just didn't try hard on the rest of them? <laughs> I think um, you sort of build – I think if you could say those two lines, that couplet is a thesis. Mm. So I think that he – that's the thesis. And, and his that, supporting evidence is lacking. Exactly. His supporting evidence is a little boring can be <laughs> from time to time. I, I, I think you see this with Sting. It's like it's, – it's the – it's. I think you, this is something you see in like Paul McCartney too. It's. Mm. It's the false confidence of the supremely talented man. Ah. Oh. Um. Like he's so good that he forgets that he can't just shit it out. You know. Yeah. Like he actually like, has to put in some effort. You, you, like you are a superhuman person. You are an Ubermensch. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Hitler would have loved you. <laughs> You're blonde. Lots of stuff going on for you. Yeah. Hitler would have loved Large you. hands. Trump would have liked him too. <laughs> you are a superior being. Right. <laughs> but you still have to try a little. And sometimes that's what like people like Sting kind of forget. Yeah. 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 I think they um, – and I wonder if it's success or if it's just um, a character flaw. Um, but you'll see this later on. And he just seems to rest on his laurels a little too um, confidently, a little yeah. too gleefully. Like, yep, this is what I'm going to do right now. I'm yeah. just going to poop something out and you're going to buy it. I'm just gonna push you know, push this metal bikini bottom down to my ankles. <laughs> Show you what I got for you today. And you're gonna pay $17.99 for it, even though just to just to finish the collection at this point. E quando avremo ridotto questa gente in polvere, allora manderò te fate adorato fate. What do we have coming up next, Adam? <laughs> what do we got coming up next? And will you bring your guitar? <laughs> I hope you do. No, I hope you bring your bass. Oh, you know what? Every episode we should have you bring in some other some other musical instrument. Ooh, I can't wait for the day you bring in the block. <laughs> That's gonna be awesome. The block. The block. The cowbell. The cowbell. Um well it's funny. So my 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 only bass that I own is a fretless electric bass. That means nothing and, to me. Well it does it doesn't have <laughs> Frets. It just goes through life really easily. Doesn't fret about anything. I don't know. It's an easy breezy kind of bass. No, it's like so. So the guitars and you know is really easy to play relative to like real stringed instruments because you don't have to put your finger right where like the note is because ultimately it's the metal bar, the fret that is actually like uh, holding down the note for you. Okay. Um, you don't have to find the, its specific location on the fingerboard like a, on like you have to do like on a cello or a or a, or a violin or or a, or a stand up bass. Uh, um, David. David. Like you do on David. Like when you play David, you actually like have to find the note. Like and you have to be in tune. So anyway, so like Sting apparently in their first US tour, which happened in between uh, the first album and this album, mm-hmm. Sting apparently like walked into a music shop and saw a fretless electric bass and was just like, oh, I'm going to buy that. And 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 either Stuart or Andy was just like, you sure? Like, because, like, that's harder to play, you know? Right. Um, And he, like, and he, like, brought it to the gig that night. He pushed Andy (laughs) down, walked over, (laughs) got the fretless bass. Yeah. Brought it to the gig that night. Oh, I out my wife. And apparently he was, like, you know, I I forget whose account of this I was reading. It was probably Stuart's, because this seems like something Stuart would have said. He was just, like, really out of tune the whole night. (laughs) And he was, like, and he was, like, 
looking down at the neck of the bass like oh, the whole no. night, like trying to find the notes. <laughs> and you can actually see this. There's a there's a television performance. Um, um, I think it's in Germany right around this time, like 1978, 79, where you can see him playing that fretless bass. And he is like not looking at the audience. He's not performing very much. He's like looking down at the neck a, of that bass. B, trying power nine. Yeah. <laughs> trying desperately to find that power nine. And it's just, it's so funny, to, again, to see the Ubermensch made um, made insecure. It's very, it's really satisfying. But what's funny is that he really doubled down on it, which is the most sting yeah, thing sing ever. Sing the do, exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Uh, anyway, no, I'm not going to bring my guitar <laughs> oh, next time. Next time we're going to be talking about the um, last in the trilogy of shitty name records, <laughs> which is the Zenyatta Mandata. I, yeah, thank God you could say it because I can't. Which does feature um, Don't Stand So Close to Me is on that record. Yep. and Ooh, he takes his shirt off in that video. <laughs> What? And and all more all videos to come. And then and then Stuart throws something at him because Stuart's amazing. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> That's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. We are um quickly traveling towards peak police. So, mm. you know, right now they're really starting Sting's um starting to really develop his assholery <laughs> and the boys ain't He's really working it. out that asshole. He's really working he's doing, out that asshole. He's doing tantric asshole <laughs> exercises in his motel rooms. <laughs> he's reading blogs on how to be more of an asshole. Yeah. Um and he's the just, boys he's just ain't like clenching it. it hard for eighteen hours at a time. <laughs> In, in the lotus position, right? <laughs> really developing that asshole. Oh, we have to do power rankings. Power rankings. Power rankings. Power rankings. Power, power, power rankings. Power rankings. Power rankings. If you're new to our 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 podcasts, podcasts, our podcasts, we are too much of a hurry to say podcast. We no, it's um, it's that British thing where they inexplicably emphasize the second syllable of a, of an otherwise tro- of a normally trochaic <laughs> word. They'll you know podcasts, podcasts, so charming. Um, yeah. Um, so on our other podcasts, we will keep a running tally of our artists' albums from best to worst. Mm-hmm. So we can now start doing this because we've discussed two albums. We've got Orlando's Damore. And Damore, Damore, and, and the, the, the the white the, the white man's the white man's reggae. The white man's reggae. The white man's reggae. See, now I'm torn. So, what do you think? in this power ranking, because I think that Outlandos they they harvested the best of Sting's um, songs. Yeah, there's more good songs. There's more good songs, but there's more good music. Yeah, the on pr- the white man's reggae. As a band, they're definitely playing better on the on the white man's see, reggae. So this is a Sting and... podcast, not a police podcast. So what should I do? Oh my god! I actually think you just answered the question. I know. So th- Outlandos, 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 yeah, that's the better Sting album. Yep. And White Man's Reggae is the better Police album. Yep. Because they're playing as a group more. They are they've playing like, as a group. They've found their sound. Yep. And now yeah. they're going to start slowly tearing apart. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. We've found a great thing. Let's stop doing that as soon as possible. Let's fucking ruin that shit. All right. So tonight's um, Words of Wisdom by tonight. Is it tonight? I, mean, I don't know. It could be where you are. <laughs> Our Words it's of Wisdom. It's tonight somewhere, baby. Tonight Billy some- Joel's pickup and, line. It's five o'clock somewhere, baby. I'm going to get drunk. Um, Our words of wisdom today are from the song No Time This Time, which I think Sting wrote... I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what where this, this so bad. It's so bad. Okay, so it's only a couplet, and if this is his thesis, this is a really sad thesis. Only time. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> only time for timetables and transportation. No time to think. No time to dare. Oh dear. It's God. like really shitty transcendental poetry. <laughs> only time for timetables and transportation. Oh, we're being ground down by the modern world. Yes, and ah, no time to dare. Dare greatly. Alliteration is the weakest tool in the poet's toolbox, isn't it? <laughs> no time to think, no time to dare. I think I wrote this poem in the sixth grade. Well, Gordon did. Gordon did. Gordon did. He was really. You got it. You got written on a scrap of paper in that box. Well, you gotta. You gotta. I mean, forgive the guy because he was murdered when he was twenty. Okay. All right. He didn't have time to develop. Poor Gordon. All right. All right. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. His creativity stopped 
at 20. Oh, Gordon. R.I.P. R.I.P. Well, that's it for Outlandus, the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Yeah? I'm Adam. Rebusia. I think I'm Meg. Power nine. Power That's nine. my. Can, I, can, I, can that be my? Yes, that can my, be your jazz my, name. My jazz, my, my jazz name. Yay, Power nine. Adam. Power nine. Power nine. Power nine. Goose. I got it. Power nine goose. <laughs> we'll find one for you next episode. Fingers crossed. All righty. If you'd like to talk to us about the stinging, the, the stinging, stinging <laughs> what um, exactly the um, Jaren form of sting would be. No, we established that. It's the stinging. What is it, transitive? Transitive is okay, what right. I don't know which one we that is. We don't know what that would help Sting- us Stinger? Out. Stingist? Help. Stingify? Stingate? That sounds good. Yes, you can talk to us on Twitter. I'm at a Ragusia. Meg is at Donahue Meg. Mm-hmm. And use our tremendously intuitive hashtag. So intuitive. Hashtag Jazz Dad's Ships. Jazz Dad's Ships. That's what it's all about. It's all you need for a good song. All right, you go ahead and have a good day. Oh, you can have a good day there now. You just have it. All right, all right. Bye-bye. 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 B